Welcome to the Mission Driven Mom podcast. This podcast is for moms just like you who want to learn how to glorify God through finding and embracing true principles, discovering and developing your greatest gifts, and using them to serve your family and community. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Audrey Rinlisbacher, author of The Mission Driven Life and founder of The Mission Driven Mom. I want to just remind you, we still have a few more days of 20% off the Mothers of Vision 2020 celebration event. You can go to themissiondrivenmom.com and click on MDM celebration and you'll see the three options there to be involved online in just the event, get the event and the recordings or the event, the recordings and the two months of mentoring. They're all 20% off. It's a great deal. Highly encourage you to come and If you bring a friend, you get a free book. If you bring three friends, then you get the recordings from last year, including a hard copy of the journal from last year. So we have some really great specials going for you. We filled up the first day on September 12th, and we are now working on filling September 26th. So we would love to see you there. We'll spend the day on Zoom going through the 10 principles of vision and teaching you how to discover a vision and take it all the way through to an action plan so you know exactly what you need to do when you're done that day to bring that vision into reality. You will also be sent a hard copy of this year's journal in addition to a hard copy action plan that you can fill out and hang up in your home with the principles list on it as well. So really great stuff happening. We're excited. We're gearing up. Mentors are working together weekly so that we can give you the best experience possible. You will be in breakout sessions a lot of the day with an individual mentor. There'll be under 20 women in your group and you'll be personally mentored through the content as you watch it together and do the assignments. So it should just be a phenomenal experience. Remember, you can sign up at themissiondrivenmom.com on the MDM celebration page. Today, we're going to just start an introduction to worldview series. I'm actually not sure how long we might go. This is content that we cover in much more detail in level three of the academy. I don't want this information or any other information I share to be taken at complete face value. I'd love for you to do your own research. I'd love for you to discover things for yourself. And although I strive to explain things as clearly as I, as I can, nothing can replace your own study and your own thought and discussion around these very, very vital ideas, issues, and concepts. So I was at dinner with some friends, and they're very well-educated people. I mean, um, you know, have advanced degrees, master's degrees, have good incomes, and a high reputation in the community, really respect them and like them. And I made a comment about worldviews and how someone's worldview had a huge impact on what they taught. And they just kind of stared at me blankly and (laughs) asked me what I was talking about. I began explaining to them that everyone has a worldview that it determines what they believe and value and therefore how they live their lives and the solutions that they offer to their children, to their communities, and to the world. They had never heard of these ideas before. 
And of course, this is not the first time and won't be the last time. I'm sure that I have these kinds of conversations. And what's interesting is some of the words that are around worldviews or the titles of worldviews are actually a little bit familiar, but people don't have a construct for what that actually means and why we're even using those words. And I'll give you an example in a minute. So of course, I had not heard of these ideas until I was a liberal arts student. And I learned not only what worldviews are, but why they're so important. And I've attempted to teach that to my family as best I can and help them understand that everyone in the world has a worldview. And when I explain a little bit more about what worldviews are, you'll understand why I also say that that means that everyone in the world has a religion. Um, I learned that worldviews are a key element to education, that they're promulgated through education, they're taught professor to student, teacher to student. Often, worldviews are taught in the classroom that oppose the worldviews taught in the home, which creates moral and religious confusion for children. Okay, And that is one of the fundamental reasons why it's so important to understand what a worldview is, to talk about it a lot in your homes, and to arm your children with an understanding that everyone has a certain value system and belief system that is guiding their choices and decisions. So there's been a lot of confusion in the world. I mean, <laughs> you know, there's a really a, a culture clash going on in the world and we're watching it happen. And there's a lot of moms who feel confused. They'll, they'll say they're confused about politics. They're confused about issues. They're not sure, sure who to listen to. They're not sure how to filter and understand what's being taught. In fact, several moms have reached out to me and asked me, you know, what I maybe do some principles of government. I do have an outline of some political principles, principles of government, just that I think I'll just go through pretty quickly in a podcast to just help with a little bit of discernment there. But ultimately, the kind of understanding needed to really guide our lives and our thinking has to be gained through our own efforts. And the reason I'm saying this is because to the extent that we feel confusion about current events, about political leaders, about issues that are happening, is often to the extent that we don't have good reading, thinking, and study skills, but especially we don't understand worldviews. Because once you have a frame of reference around what worldviews are, why they matter, why they dictate how a person thinks and feels and believes and will act, you know, people's behavior can seem so not just confusing, but like out of context or just really divisive. It's so hard to understand why people do what they do unless we understand that there are things called worldviews and that these worldviews are creating this cultural clash. 
In fact, you know, recently, if you've been listening to my feminism series, you know that one of the things I point out multiple times in, especially in that last couple feminism podcasts where I talk about modern feminism, the worldview around feminism changed in the 1900s and early to, and, and, no, in, sorry, in the 19th century and early 20th century, the feminist, quote, feminist or the right to vote and to be educated, that movement was led by women with a Christian worldview. It was executed a certain way and taught and promulgated using certain values and ideas. And in the 50s and 60s and 70s especially, it was totally hijacked by Marxist communist women. The worldview changed. So one of the one of the things you know, and I talk about this in the feminist series. You know, modern women, good Christian women that I love and respect. You know, they'll call themselves feminists. They'll say that they're feminists. They don't even have a frame of reference for understanding that the worldview of feminism is a certain specific way of seeing the world. They cannot say that they're feminists when the feminist worldview is communistic in nature and they are Christian. That's their worldview. That's their value system. That's how they see the world. You know, things like riots and Black Lives Matter and educational approaches and methodologies, religion and spirituality, all of these are understood quite clearly from the frame of reference of worldviews. So here's why. Worldviews are simply our specific view of the world, okay? What this means is a worldview answers questions like these. Where did I come from? Why am I on earth? What is right and wrong? Is there a God? What's his nature? What's my relationship to him? If he exists, what has purpose and meaning in life? Here's another one. What's more important, the individual, the family, or the state? Do we have human rights and duties? And what are they? Where do they come from? What happens when we die? What does success mean? How is happiness created? And how should I live my life? The answers to these questions rest on a central set of values and beliefs. These inform the answers to these questions and shape the attitudes and behaviors of people who adhere to them. So here's some worldviews, dominant worldviews, especially in the West, but worldwide in the last hundred years. Christianity or Judeo-Christianity, um, Islam, and I won't say necessarily all religions under this list, but you, but because a worldview is essentially a religion, it has a context and frame of reference to a relationship with God or a non-relationship with a God and to absolute values and absolute truths or non-absolutes, then you really can say that every religion is also a worldview. Sometimes they fit under the framework of a larger religion or a larger worldview, but in that sense they are. They dictate what a person values, what a person believes, and how that person frames their life, how they find meaning, what they choose to do, what their attitudes and behavior are like. Modernism is another modern worldview, communism and socialism, secular humanism, cosmic humanism, um, and 
you, sometimes it's called New Ageism and Postmodernism. And if you're listening, especially today, you'll hear the word postmodernism now and again. Somebody who doesn't understand worldviews and who hasn't studied postmodernism will hear that phrase and it will go right past them and they won't even understand why it's significant, why it matters, why their ears ought to perk up. But it super matters. <laughs> like it matters so much to understand what is postmodernism, where did it start, who were the founders. And in that feminist, um, that last feminism podcast, I also mentioned that some of the people who were the original founders of modern feminism were also founders of postmodernism, also Marxists. And so that also matters. Okay. Now, when, we, when people buy into a specific worldview, they behave in pretty consistent ways. It's actually so much easier to understand why they do what they do and where they, we might begin to connect with them. It helps us see if we have beliefs or principles in common upon which we could build, and it helps us make sense of the world and know how to better insert ourselves with principle-centered solutions. So I'm going to go into some examples as we go through this series. Um, one, one of the things I was going to talk about today and realized I probably wouldn't have time unless I made this another really long podcast. We'll talk about this in a future um, intro to Worldviews podcast for just a few minutes, and that's John Dewey. He, of course, is the founder of Modern Education. I'm sure you've heard his name. I'm not sure how much you know about him. If you're in the homeschool world, he just gets demonized, but nobody actually reads what he wrote. I actually have read several of his writings. He's actually kind of a confusing author. Uh, he kind of contradicts himself. But there are some themes, some intentional, some probably not intentional, that have been drawn from his writings and instituted into our public school systems. But it's interesting to note that he was a humanist, a secular humanist. He was an atheist. And he believed he is largely responsible for changing the fundamental purpose because the worldview in the American school systems was founded on a Judeo-Christian value set on that worldview. It was promulgated. It was instituted on that worldview. And therefore, it was um, its systems, its teachings, its curriculum, its content, its forms, its... Uh, guiding principles were in line with that worldview. And Dewey is largely responsible for changing the worldview of the school systems and not long after, like Humanist Manifesto was written in, in 1933, the original manifesto. He was a signer of that original manifesto. He served on the board of that organization. He was also um, president of the American Psychology Association, which was also uh, a more atheistic, secular, humanist organization built on a different worldview. These organizations are built on worldviews. You know, I said this in a previous podcast. People do things. You can strip any institution down to the people behind it. And those people's beliefs, worldviews, values, principles, guiding ideas will be what that organization is about. Whether it's a business, a family, you know, a, a city council, that, that's what will guide it because it's people behind it. It's individuals which, with specific beliefs and values guiding it. And so because he was such a powerful voice and he gathered people around him with similar worldviews, 
modern education was built on the secular humanist worldview, and that worldview is now being changed into the post, especially at the college level over the last probably 30 years. The worldview at the college level is a postmodernist worldview. And so you and I are in this battle where we have a God-centered, a lot of MDM moms are Christian-centered. We have this Christian or Judeo-Christian or God-centered worldview that we're striving to perpetuate in our homes. But then our children go to uh, school and they get a secular humanist worldview sprinkled with some postmodernism that's increasingly encroaching at the lower educational levels. And then we send them to college where they're saturated with the postmodernism worldview. And it's rough, you know, at, at those ages, even if we've done a really good job, it's hard for them to navigate and negotiate that. But they're better armed when they understand this is a clash of worldviews. It, it isn't that my parents were wrong and the professors were right in that sense or the other way around. It's that there's certain, and, and of course there are fundamental truths. And if we can help our children see that some things are true and always true, because a fundamental tenet of postmodernism is um, relative truth. So there's nothing that's absolutely true all the time, especially in the realm of humanity. Anyway, we can get into that. And I don't necessarily want to try to give you an in-depth, I can't really give you an in-depth understanding of these worldviews without mentoring you through it and having you read some of the original writings. There would just be no way for you to really understand it. But I want to encourage you. I want to inspire you. Uh, if you get into the academy and come along with us to level three, then we will definitely mentor you through this. We'll spend some time in worldviews and world religions. Would love to see you there. But I can introduce you to some key people, to some concepts, ideas, um, and some of the dominant worldviews and why they matter. Well, you know, let me. I'm going to give you a quick example before I finish up with a, kind of the last reason why worldviews are so important. And I want to um, really today just inspire you to start learning about this, to start thinking about it, start ans asking questions, to just understand that there is such a thing. Next time we're going to go into the 10 tenets of a worldview. What makes up, what are those 10 points? Of, of a kind of a holistic approach to the world and what some of those key questions are that are being answered through worldview and why that matters. So we'll do that next time. Worldviews are usually brought into a civilization, sometimes often by another culture. For example, much of what we have happening educationally first was dictated to us by the Germans. So many of, especially in the late um, 19th century and 20th century, many of our greatest scholars went to Germany to study and they adopted those ideas which made us far more secularized. And one of the things that Dewey did was turn education from an institution where, because if you, if you go back and read, I don't have the book with me here, but um, I could give you some quotes of the founding generation of America talking about the purposes of education. And what they predominantly said was, you can't have freedom unless you're moral. 
And you can't have freedom unless you understand your rights and duties. So we need to establish an educational system that's grounded on Judeo-Christian worldview, that teaches fundamental principles of government and economics, that teaches rights and duties, and that, and that builds good citizens. So it had its own framework, its purposes, its values, its principles, and that was pretty successful for the first 100, 120 years. That had already been working before, but more and more it was the case. And a lot of children, you know, girls less often than boys, but even a lot of little girls got some education. Certainly they they were um, literate, which was unusual in the world in the 19th century, and they were taught these fundamental principles. So anyway, what happens is postmodernism then is is has been brought over to us from the French. So we we got tired of the old German ideas, and we didn't have any, I guess, original ideas of our own. We were sick of the founders' model. We're tired of that was old and tired, and so then we tried on the German model, and that got old and tired. So now we're on to this new cool thing called postmodernism that we brought over from France. The the French philosophers are the the founders. And I talked talk, talk about that a little bit in my feminist podcast too. We'll get into that a little bit more in this series, depending on how long we go. And if you have questions, you can pop them in the Facebook group or you can head over to the website and just go to the podcast. This one, for example, and you can put your questions in the comments and I can answer more questions on worldviews in the future. But um, these ideas are promulgated through the youth, oh, to the youth. So what happens is it's usually, this is why ideas are so important. And I, I have a podcast specifically on why ideas matter. Ideas rule the world, I think I called it. So, so, so true. Because it's the thinkers, the philosophers, and sometimes the predominant religious leaders that do this abstract thinking and they read extensively and then they grasp onto ideas they think are cool or they come up with new ideas they like and then they perpetuate them that gets spread around it catches on with other thinkers and then it gets implemented usually in the educational systems and so you have for example Mao's little red book you have the Hitler youth and we can see in America over the last hundred years how the worldview in our school systems has transformed three times and you take it to the young. This is why for those who are really extreme and who are very postmodern in their outlook are so, um, they're so insistent on having sex education in our schools at an earlier and earlier age that feeds into their worldview. It services their purposes because it grooms children earlier and it makes them think and act in certain ways that are in line with the postmodern worldview. And every worldview seeks to bring about a certain kind of society. They develop a certain kind of individual that brings about a certain kind of society. And so we have to ask, you know, what kind of people do we want our people to be? And what kind of society will that then bring about? So I'll give you a quick, quick little example as we finish up here. This is from Mao's Little Red Book. The introduction to it is just fascinating. But this is the first page. And it's quotes from Mao uh, from earlier speeches. I'm not actually sure when the book was first published. It was required reading most 
youth had it in their pockets, carried it with them everywhere, had to memorize lots of it and spoke about it and all that kind of stuff. So as I'm reading these sentences from the first page, imagine what kind of person this is going to produce. Imagine how this is going to taint the thinking of the young. It's going to mold it a certain way and it's going to force it into a certain way of, you know, by, by, by promoting certain core values and beliefs, it's going to cause these youth to behave in certain ways. There's, oh man, there's so many examples I could give you, especially of communism. I was watching this video recently and, you know, there was a mom who was absolutely devoted to the communist party. And of course, like so many devoted communist party members, she was turned in and imprisoned, sent to labor camps. And when her daughter wrote to her, she said, you tell me who's right. Are you right or is the communist party right? Because I guess maybe she'd said something derogatory about it. I can't remember. And the mother was so indoctrinated. And if you want to learn more about indoctrination, you should get our recordings from the 2019 Mothers of Discernment <laughs> um, event because there's, I gave a whole long presentation on what indoctrination and indoctrination are, what the difference is, and, and, and how to identify it. But so indoctrinated, she wrote back to her daughter and said, trust the party. Because her daughter said, if you're right, then I'll love you and hate communism. But if communism is right, I'll love communism and hate you. And her mother said, the communists are right, even though the communists had betrayed her. Fascinating. So anyway, this is from Mao's Little Red Book. Here's the first quote. The force at the core leading our cause forward is the Chinese Communist Party. The theoretical basis guiding our thinking is Marxist-Leninism. Opening, oh, okay, so that's the first tenet. That the force is the Communist Party and the ideology, the worldview, is Marxist-Leninism. That's who we are. That's what we believe. I mean, you can, you can imagine if you go back for example, to the New England primers. And there's quotes in there that are Christian worldviews. So some of the first tenets in those books that children memorize is God is our father and we're created in his image and he loves us. And so this is a core tenet of Mao's Little Red Book. If there is to be a revolution, there must be a revolutionary party. Now this is fascinating because this is in 1940. I don't know, this is, this is pretty early on. Uh, there's already been revolutions, but there still must be a revo there must be a revolutionary party. Without a revolutionary party, without a party built on the Marxist-Leninist revolutionary theory and in the Marxist-Leninism revolutionary style, it is impossible to lead the working class and the broad masses of the people in defeating imperialism and its running dogs. Now here we are. We're in China. We've got centuries of imperialist suppression. We have all kinds of problems you know people out of work people starving most everybody is poor there's this rich class that doesn't care about anybody there's these imperialist leaders that just live on the backs of the people so imperialism is the enemy and you know that you feel that as a youth you've heard that from your parents that's clear to you so we have to fight imperialism in order to do that, we have to have a revolution. In order to have a revolution, we have to have a revolutionary party, a revolutionary theory. So if I want to do something great in the world, 
I will believe in Marxist-Leninism. I will become part of that party. I will become part of the Revolutionary Party. And the greatest thing I could do in my life is to sacrifice myself for that cause, to overthrow imperialism so future generations can have a better life. Now think about that. That appeals to the best in someone. You know, I'm 14, 15, I'm impressionable, I'm 16. You know, I want the world to be a better place. I'm idealistic. I, I see that there's problems. I want to be part of the solution. I'm going to believe it. I'm going to buy into it. I'm going to sign up because I, I'm a good person. <laughs> I want to do something good. You know, it's so easy to look at people that are entrenched in other worldviews and to only see the bad. And to think that why would they ever do that? Why would they ever promote that? Why would they ever believe that? But actually, sometimes it's, especially for those not in charge, especially those in the ranks, it's coming from a good place inside them that they want to do something noble and worthwhile. Here's another one. Without the efforts of the Communist Party, without the Chinese Communists as the mainstay of the Chinese people, China can never achieve independence and liberation or industrialization and modernization, modernization of her agriculture. And isn't that what we want? We want independence, liberation, industrialization, and modernization. I, I would like to be like the West. You know, that's what they're thinking. Of course, we want to be free from the imperialists. The Communist Party is going to do that for us. Again, appealing to first principles, which if you've not listened to the Intro to Principles series, when I talk about first principles, go listen to that. We are really in the trenches in level two with those students talking about first principles and seeing how they really resonate with people. He is hitting on some first principles here that we've got to defeat imperialism. What does that go back to? That goes to our right for, for liberty. We want liberation. We want independence. Those are those are fundamental rights we feel deep in our hearts. Those are first principles he's appealing to. That's why it resonates and that's why they get on board. Another one, the communist Chinese Communist Party is the core of leadership of the whole Chinese people. Without this core, the cause of socialism cannot be victorious. Now what's socialism? What does that mean to someone who's young, who's reading this little red book? It means we share. It means everyone's taken care of. It means that there's no poor anymore and everybody has a home and everybody has something to eat. Again, an idealistic picture of the world. I have, I'm, I'm, I'm 14, 15, 16 years old. I have no frame of reference for understanding why or that not that's even a reality and what it might take to get there. And I don't really care. I just want to help. I just want to be part of the solution. And I, I want to bring these things about. So... Last thing I want to say to you, it is so critical for mothers to understand and teach worldviews to their children for four reasons. Number one, so that they are less likely to be deceived. When someone says postmodernism, they'll instantly know that's a worldview. I know what that worldview is. I know what it stands for. And I know that it's not what I want. I know that it doesn't rest on sound principles. I know that where it's been tried, it has not been successful. And I know that people who are promoting that worldview are people who have somehow been deceived. They could be good people, just like I read these, you know, from the Mao's Little Red Book. Two, they'll be, they'll better understand others. I mean, I instantly feel more empathy and understanding 
for children and youth who got lost in communism and sacrificed themselves for it or continue to do so because I get what it is. Three, they'll be able to find common ground in differing worldviews and better connect with those who believe differently. So critical in the world, especially now that things are so divisive, we need more than ever principle-centered mothers who build principle-centered homes so that we can build principle-centered solutions and we can connect. Number four, they won't fall prey to swallowing whole what others teach as truth. I see this in young adults and it doesn't always have perfect results. It's not always that our youth completely adhere to every single value we ever had and live out our religious principles. You know, I'm, I'm, I, I see that in, in my family, in my extended family. You know, it's not that we build carbon copies of ourselves. It's that there are certain things that are so deeply embedded in their hearts that they have seen evidence for on so many fronts that they can no longer deny that that's true. And they don't swallow another worldview whole because they're, they're adept and experienced at stopping and thinking things through for themselves and trying to get to the bottom of things and looking for principles and understanding that that's just another worldview that someone's promoting. So that's your first little introduction to worldview. Ne- worldviews next time we'll go through the 10 points and then maybe we'll hit on just some core ideas with two or three worldviews in the modern world. But I just can't emphasize enough how this has totally transformed the way I think about myself. It makes it a million times easier for me to navigate current events and issues. It makes it so much easier for me to extend empathy and understanding to people of all faiths, worldviews, and and stances, and makes it me it easier for me to connect with them. So please, please, please learn more about this. Um, Stay tuned for future podcasts and please join us in the Academy so that you can get an in-depth study of these worldviews and teach them to your children because they're so needed today. Thanks so much for joining me. If you don't have your copy of the Mission Driven Life audiobook that will be available for a few more weeks, please head over to themissiondrivenmom.com and grab your copy. And if you've not joined our Facebook group, the Mission Driven Mom Mastermind Facebook group, we would love to see you there. And I'll see you next time.